0: what's good my dear language learning master and welcome to the language input podcast and in today's interview i'm gonna have diane and you know she's american but she's a chinese teacher in in america uh, mandarin that is and she's gonna tell us about her experience living in china uh, about how she went about learning the language and also the differences between teaching a language with a different alphabet and, and, much more. So yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for my, ma- thanks so much for watching. Let's get right into it. Hi Diane. And hi Alvaro. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Thank you. you. Know, it's a yeah. Problem. Thanks
1: for the invitation.
0: And yeah, as usual, just first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself, especially when it comes to language learning and teaching and all the things that you do in this field. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. I'm, I am from, as, as soon as I start talking, people will know, I am from the U.S. and from the U.S. Midwest, um, where, where I grew up um, just speaking English. I, I had some exposure to languages in school. Uh, I took French. Uh, through let's see sixth grade to 11th grade and then I decided I didn't like my teacher and I didn't take it as a senior but partly too because I thought I was going to take an Asian language in college. I was going to be at Wittenberg University, a plug for my undergraduate school, um, in Ohio And they had a very strong East Asian studies program. And I was interested at the time in Japanese. So when I went there, I started taking Japanese. then I became interested in Chinese and switched, took two years of each of those languages. Um, But a much more typical university program, I would say, even today, um, more, this isn't necessarily true in the U.S., but a lot of programs emphasize more language study uh, and learning about the structure of the language, and memorizing words and, and translation. Um, and so I had a lot of that kind of emphasis. I've lost the Japanese almost completely, although I can pick up Japanese texts, and because I read Chinese well now, I can figure out the topic. <laughs> so sure. at least I know what's going on from written Japanese because they share the same characters used approximately in the same meaning.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then started Chinese, and that was where things stuck. So I. Um, took two years in college and then was planning to go live in China at some point, eventually got there um, and lived in China in the southwest part of China in Yunnan province for about four years altogether. I've also lived a few summers in other cities, major cities in China, and done a little bit of travel, Um, but I feel like my my Chinese home is in the southwest um, and I miss it today. Um, This is, just to clarify, this is not Chinese. Uh, This is from, I believe, Tajikistan,
0: and it's a photo I
1: took in Boulder, Colorado at a tea house. So there's a sister city partnership. So this is um, the inside of of a tea house that's public. You can walk in and look around. So I just like it for the background. But often at this point, this is when somebody says, oh, and and what location is this from? And no, (laughs) not China anyway. Yeah. yeah yeah um so I let's see I, that was when I was in my 20s that I lived in China I am older than that now I'll not specify um and then I met my husband on a, a few months trip back to the US while I was still kind of long- term living in China and we were interested in each other and kept in touch when I went back to China and he came to visit and proposed and so I came back to the. US in 2003. four four 2004 and so i've been here since then started teaching a little bit just one-on-one or tutoring small group classes and then found a job at a school in north of chicago and started teaching kids that were fifth grade through eighth grade eventually had fourth grade so this is age approximately eight or nine through about 13 14 okay Um, So, kind of the end of grammar school at a private school and developed the whole curriculum there which was really fun um, and tiring (laughs) because young i think younger kids the more you have younger kids uh, the younger they go the more you're dealing with body management and emotion management um, as the teacher in the classroom and the less you can rely on the students to do those things for themselves with older students they start to manage those things or hide those things and sometimes mm. not so good um, and then they um, they also you can do more language stuff directly with the older student that you have but um, but those young kids have enthusiasm and excitement and honesty and so they're a really good training ground for being a teacher I right. then right. um, taught at a high school for three years and then began working on a phd so i'm a, in a phd program full-time now and teach a little bit on the weekends online like you do okay
0: cool and um, so yeah, I think, yeah, yeah um, go ahead go ahead
1: i was thinking that i think that's kind of the teaching trajectory of my life okay at least
0: yeah i was going to ask you about that like uh when when you started teaching in like north of chicago that you said was it TPRS, Comprehensible Input, right away or not? No.
1: no um, I I had interesting experiences myself. I said in university level it was more of a, a, a typical kind of a grammar emphasis, mm. um, testing you through translation. Um, yeah, it's a more more study of grammar. Here's here's a grammar pattern, now practice writing it or saying it. Um, that kind of approach. Um, and. After college, I still wanted to continue my Chinese, like developing my Chinese language skills, and I tried a variety of different things. Um, I would say when I was living in China, of course, my my language growth took off. I do remember getting to China and meeting people who had lived there for less than a half a year, and their Chinese was better than me with two years of university study and maintenance for a few years out, out of college. Um, And so my vocabulary practicing and trying to memorize stuff was, I I didn't like it. It was not motivating for me. I know of people who do like that, but it's not going to work for you if it doesn't work for you. So, you know, if if, if you're bored by memorizing vocab, there are other better ways to do it. And everybody, I think, can succeed when they're doing more that's input-based and comprehension-based, where a few people you know, can do that kind of intensive grammar study, intensive vocab study, and they they still make progress. I think their progress is a little skewed compared to natural language development, where you're experiencing the way people really talk by hearing them mm. and reading.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so you're, you're getting a more native-like kind of language development when you're exposed to more input. Mm. So I eventually heard this. <laughs> this is not something that occurred to me at all, even though I had some of this kind of experience and being in China, being surrounded by language and being able to understand what people said and respond to the degree that I could and and get more back. And um, so really, when I think about my own real progress, it was based on comprehensible input, but I didn't know to speak that yet in, in my own attempts to learn. Right. So um, after I came back to the U.S., I started using some podcasts that a a student of mine actually recommended, because I was still on the idea that, well, to get better, I need to have a lot of long lists of words, and I need to have maybe, I I found some textbooks that had little short reading passages with 20 new words in it, and, you know, try to work those out, and again, demotivating. Yeah, so um, I started listening to podcasts, and I started trying to get the really, really hard ones, I was like, I can't even understand the pace to pick out words. And so I started going down to the lower levels of the podcast. Um, It was Chinese Pod, which has changed its format since then. I think it's a little more traditional now. But at the time, they were interesting things on a topic. They would tell you in English here's the topic this podcast is going to be about. And there were one or two, maybe three people, either simulating a conversation among friends or a presentation or talking about some media thing they'd seen, or explaining a topic culturally, and and doing that almost entirely in Chinese. And I started to find that when there were like four or five words that were new, I could understand it more and more. And my pace of listening got better. And it was exciting and motivating. And I was learning about things instead of just trying to work hard and memorize new vocabulary and try to remember how to use it and then try to use it. You know, yeah. So um, the personal experience of that was not all things that I processed. Like, hey, when I start teaching, how can I give students more like that? Hmm. I no, it didn't occur to me. I I found a textbook to use when I was teaching, um, and it, it was okay for kids in the sense that it didn't overwhelm them with a lot of direct grammar instruction, and it didn't do huge lists of vocabulary. Like some textbooks will really focus on that. You know, they have like four grammar points up front. Here, learn this pattern. Now, practice it with these 25 new words. And, and that that wasn't the way that that textbook did, but there was not enough input. Um, so I started creating things for students because I could see that they couldn't remember things yet. You know, so so, the, you know, the wheels could have been turning. I had heard about TPR, total physical response. Yeah. You know, so it's like, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand slowly, raise your hand quickly, You know, like all those kinds of techniques I had heard about before I moved to China and I had used them a little bit, uh, but I then heard about TPRS, so teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, which grew out of TPR event originally, but developed very much into its own thing and continues to develop into its own thing, um, moving past where I do. <laughs> so I, I don't necessarily consider myself doing TPRS now, but um, I have a lot of things in common with some older forms of TPRS. And I first learned about that at a school, um, Haiyan Lu was a Chinese teacher in Wisconsin, still is. And she hosted a program that got me started. Uh, took me a couple of years after that. It like It was, it felt magical because the teacher was teaching us Russian, her name was Katya Palkova, so give her credit, she would write words on a board behind her, and so she'd have transliterated Russian and then English, and so she didn't really speak English as we, we talked, but we made this cute story about somebody wanting a, a large cappuccino, and I can, I can hear the word cappuccino in her in her voice still, you know, that was 2010? I think, or nine, 2009 maybe, Um, and it felt so much like, wow, I was just directly getting language, and I thought, I'm going to go back to my classroom, I'm going to do this with the students, and so I walked in the next day with my favorite class, they were, I think, were they sixth or seventh, they were seventh graders then, and I was kind of doing a little bit more input-like stuff with them, but not, not real systematically, not real smoothly, And I remember going, I'm going to try this thing. And so I walk into the the front of the classroom and I think, what did she do? I have no idea how she did that. So, I mean, even though there were words up there and I started doing a little bit of those kinds of things, I really needed more help and guidance. What do I do step by step? How Mm -hmm. can I make that happen? So it was so engaging, not not in a frantic way, not like games are engaging, because I was doing a lot of that. Those were things that my students enjoyed, but I didn't see language growth very right. much. Right, right. So I wanted to see language growth. I was convinced Chinese is not too hard a language for kids without a heritage language exposure. Like nobody at home speaks Chinese. I was convinced that they can learn Chinese. I just wasn't seeing, you know, I, I, I how can I do it better? So, so that was what got me motivated to do it. Um, I also was terrified by... Um, you may know in the U.S. there's a language teaching organization called Actful, ACTFL, A-C-T-F-L, ACTFL. Um, they they promote the idea that um, ideally you want to be using the target language in the classroom. 90%, they don't say 90% of what? Time? Words heard? Oh, but, right, 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 you oh. know, it's, it's a guide. It's a guide. It's meant to be, it's a position statement. It's not a mandate per se, but the idea is to grow your language, you need to be exposed to it as much as possible yeah. and using it when, when you can. And so um, that, that was terrifying to me as a teacher because I think maybe I had 25, 30% of my class time was in Chinese. A lot of the time was me talking in English explaining. And so seeing the way that that teacher did this with creating this story with us, um it was like wow okay i want to do it so i kept it was right. a moving target i kept working towards that and found um, support with other teachers online which made the biggest difference
0: yeah but what like were you sticking to 25 30% at the beginning because you didn't know better or because you felt like your chinese wasn't good enough or combination of those
1: <laughs> yeah i I was teaching beginners, and I was pretty confident in my Chinese for that level um, at that point. Uh, So despite, like, I was at the same time I'm talking about this, I was still listening to podcasts. But by then, three, two, three years in, I was starting to get better. What I would do, and this is a great thing to do if, if somebody is a language learner and you want to kind of check your own progress, I would listen to the same podcast, which was really tough for me one year, and I went back and listened to it a year later. And I could understand it like so much better, and and that feeling of like that. And then I went and listened to it again okay. sometime after that, and I'm like, I got it, you know, like yeah. wow, you know. So so yeah. that was great. So both listening speed and vocabulary had grown, and um, so yeah. So I was I was working on my language skills as I was teaching too. So that wasn't so much the thought; um, it was very much not knowing how to do other things. Yeah. Um, and wanting to have the kids be engaged, wanting them to be interested in class and volunteering to answer and willing to do the things I was asking them to do. So I was trying to find like interesting activities, which then made it so I had to explain a lot. <laughs> like, okay, today we're going to play this game and then you're going to be in this team and this, like, you know, that's very long. Um, but but I did have some good materials from that, that first textbook. We had these videos that were live people really cheesy videos but they were fun to watch because like if you could get into the fact that it's like oh brother you know it was fun to watch so that was a source of input and when we would i started talking about those with the students in chinese instead of in you know explaining things in english so much i started using photographs like, like i mean this photograph could even be one um and pointing to things and asking questions and making statements about what they saw. So it wasn't just a vocabulary flashcard photo. Mm -hmm. It was a rich context to talk photo. So those, those kinds of things kind of turned the corner for me. And then I started to see my students developing natural speaking. And that was like, you know, so they were, they were growing more comfortable. They weren't like, I had to memorize this and now I can produce this one sentence perfectly. It was much more like, Hey, I have words kicking around in my head and it comes out quickly and more fluently than it ever had. <laughs> and with less anxiety from the student, because it's, it feels good to them. They they're like, they know what to say. Cause they're, they've got it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That was extremely motivating and I wanted to keep seeing that happen. So
0: yeah and I I bet they were having way more fun as well right
1: well mostly yeah and I should say one of the things that happened about the end of the first year of this kind of real intentional transition on my part I had a very strong mindset that I needed to co-create stories with students all the time and then we would read it and um, so I was doing a very uh, classic TPRS kind of model for some people if that's all that you do and it's working great awesome you know it's like but like i've moved from like feeling like methods are the way that i teach to to what's called post method and working out of principles from which i select which activities we do Mm. and so one of the things i still do is co-create a lot of stories and co-create descriptions of photos and um and video clips and things like that so i do a lot of things that look similar or are similar to What I learned from TPRS but it's not always a co-created story from scratch with students but but at the time I thought well I had to do it because I wanted to do it right you know I was so worried that I knew what I was doing before wasn't as effective and I saw people doing things with TPRS that were and I wanted to be like that and so um, unfortunately that meant I burned one of my classes they were seventh graders at the time yeah, so my, I guess they were my third class that had come through all levels of the program, I think that's right. And I, I remember there was a day in about late October, where I was, you know, every day we were going to do either co-creating a story, or we we're going to read that story. And I try to make it engaging. I mean, they're student actors, and we did stuff with it a little bit. But, I mean, I was, we're going to do this. And I was counting on them knowing all the vocabulary from past years. Okay, That was a mistake. Okay. So, you know, I was counting on, well, in sixth grade, you had this chapter that had these 20 words, even though I knew, like, that was hard. So they could pass quizzes, and then they'd forget. You know, yeah. so then the next year I'm treating it like, well, you should know all these words. All you have to do is just tell me if you don't understand. That's fine. Just, you know, tell me, you don't, like, no, seventh graders are not going to do that when it's every third word. They're like, I, they're lost, you know, most of them and frustrated and bored. And I was too much detail and too uh, digging a hole in the ground. And one day in late October, they looked at me like this. I'm like, um, okay. So, you know, I knew things were wrong <laughs> before that, but I sat down and I said, okay, tell me, tell me what's going on here. Cause we can't go on like this. And so I listened to them for 45 minutes. Tell me about how much they hated stories and, you know, I'm making fun of them a little bit, but, but it wasn't that they hated stories. It was that they hated what I was doing to them <laughs> and expecting them to know vocabulary that they could not possibly recall. Right. And I was so, you know, they're seventh graders, so they were like 11 to 13. And I was asking them to process things in an abstract way at such a level. We had no, no images, no pictures. The most concrete thing in the room was maybe a student actor. Right. And, but it was this big, long, drawn-out thing. It, it was too much for them. And so um, teachers in Ben Slavic's professional learning community said, you know, here, back, back away from stories here are some things that are smaller and that you can do. And actually, they were things that I had already done. But I, you know, I felt like, oh, the gold standard is co create stories. And so I ran for that as hard as I could. Um, And I backed off from that. And I started to diversify the kinds of activities, still thinking through, you know, I want this to be comprehension-based. That they They experience a lot of language they can understand well. And, but in a way that they're engaged with it. So they're showing responses, they're helping to determine the course of what we talk about. So it can be very student-centered. And later on, I kind of added that thought of there there needs to be a purpose beyond just language study here. Um, But like there's a communication that's happening as well. So kind of now I'm getting into the, where I am now thinking about what is it to, to teach language and what's effective.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the first thing is it needs to be comprehensible, right? And that's when pictures and images and context come in, right? But then we don't even know it as adults. Like, how many times do we need to hear a specific word in order to be able to recall it in a real-life mm-hmm. conversation? Because many times, yeah, first of all, as a teacher, you might assume the students are understanding that word. And <laughs> again,
1: and they may play along because they, they don't yeah. want to be embarrassed or they don't want right. to be act rebellious. Or maybe, you know, maybe the culture is like, I shouldn't ask questions of the teacher right. about right. something they did. Like, I I should have known that kind of feel. You know, a, a lot of students had that, yeah. that I've taught.
0: Yeah, um, adults will tell you most times, but yeah, th- there's a difference there. But then, yeah even if you've listened to a specific word or phrase, 20 times i'm just making that number up it doesn't mean you're going to be able to recall it later on you might need right. number 25 or i'm just making numbers up you know? yeah
1: and and the context in which you heard it you know was there an emotional connection to it was there like a reason like you you needed that word before and so you heard it and like you know, right. you know it, it clicked more i mean there's all these different variables going on all the time it's it's really interesting like and different people will be different in the same class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I tell adult students now is that there is no should, there is no should have known that, Mm. there's just do you write this moment, know that, and so if if you're feeling lost, you need to let me know. Like for me, it's okay if there's a little bit of a noise, like a little bit of unknown in Mm. the language, if if you're feeling okay about it and you're able to continue to engage with it, so if like you lose a phrase here or there, but you're you're tracking with the overall message, um, for me that's 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 tolerable limits for me. Um, but if it's not for that student, they're like, hey, I, you know, they they can let me know at any point in time. And if they're they're lost because of one word, you know, that can happen a lot. Stop me and and tell me. And I would agree, uh, adults when feeling safe are a little more likely to do that i think students in a classroom in middle school or high school maybe never totally feel as safe
0: yeah right
1: so yeah part of the job of the teacher is is really to help coach the kids on this is how this works and i really do need to hear from you and you really do help me when you stop me because this is about communication in the classroom not about I'm dumping, you know, information into your mind that you're supposed to get all at once. No, yeah. it's we're we're doing this thing together. It's
0: constructive. Yeah, and I guess they're they're used to that dynamic of you know the the teacher just talking and talking and spitting things out, you know, yeah. and just yeah. they're, they're just that sitting and and, and listening. So it takes, yeah. but I, I like that that attitude of, no, there's no should. Like, that, I think that's a good one for language teaching and for life in general, but anyway.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're just where you are. Just keep, take another step,
0: right? Exciting. Yeah, yeah I had another thing in mind. What was it? Because I, I want to get into specifics when it comes to Chinese, because it's a really interesting mm-hmm. language because of how different it is.
1: Yeah, from either of our first languages, for
0: yeah. sure. Yeah, Spanish or Italian, French, German. But I, I want to ask you one more thing about the, the last topic, but I forgot. Oh, yeah. No, I, I want to say that when, when when students don't tell you that they're not understanding, and they even, they even enter that sort of vicious circle in which they don't understand a word they don't want to tell you so they start trying to guess what it means so they're thinking about it you you go on
1: they're missing <laughs> yes So, so, they, they yeah. so they're off on it. So yeah yeah Excited. right right for sure yeah yeah I've, I've had people even tell me that like well i i knew i didn't know but i thought maybe i could figure it out and then and then i realized i couldn't but then i i i you were here i was talking yeah. <laughs> like okay
0: yeah yeah it's like real life conversation that you're, you're thinking ahead you know you're thinking of what, what you're going to reply and you're not really paying attention to what the other person's saying yeah
1: you yeah really
0: that's yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah i wanted to ask you about about the alphabet specifically like first of all as a student yourself how, how do you go mm-hmm. about it, or how, how was your experience when you mm-hmm. come to to that part?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna turn my camera and write on a board that's over okay. on the wall behind me. Okay. Um, so there, I'll write I'll write the same word in in Chinese. Let me think. Ah, okay. So this is a character, and it, it, this happens to mean chicken. In okay. Mandarin, we pronounce it zi so there's a way to transliterate that sound and it looks like that right so there, they do use an alphabet in in the pinyin system of transliterating chinese but there's nothing here that's like an alphabet there's nothing in this character that tells me it sounds like that what what the character tells me is this thing is is actually it's it's a simplified character so I I'm, I'm, can't remember what the original looked like. It looked a little bit more like a bird, I think over there. Um, this, this part actually means something to do with your hand. Um, I suspect it had some relationship to the sound of the word, I'm not sure. Um, but often there's a part there that will either remind you of the general gist of the sound, something similar to the sound, and something else in there will remind you of the meaning, often. 80, 80, 85% of the characters are like that. So over here on this side, which I never write very beautifully, that, that part is a bird. And maybe you can see the bird. Here's the head up here.
0: Okay, okay. Kind and it's of, kind
1: yeah. of the maybe the wing yep,
0: yep. and exactly. so the front of
1: the bird. and mm-hmm. Yeah, eyeball right there. Yeah, so um, that appears in many, many different characters for something related to some kinds of birds. So when you find out, oh, that's chicken, and then there's this part there, okay, that's going to trigger my memory. It means some kind of a bird. Oh, it means the part that maybe sounds sort of like that. Maybe. I don't know if that component has a sound that's similar, to be honest. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Because they've been written for thousands of years, the changes in the sound system have, those have changed, but sometimes the character remains the same. So it doesn't always have a relationship between the sound and the meaning yeah. of the character necessarily but uh, but so so there is some guide um, but chinese people do not read this as if this is the language this is like when we look in a dictionary to look up english words there's the phonetic pronunciation of the word next to the spelling of the word this is like that pronunciation of the word this is the real word uh-huh. and so if you're not reading in characters you're missing a lot a lot you're just getting sounds of Chinese and you're not connecting to the meaning and the historic connections that the language has within itself. So I find it actually after a point, it's easier to know characters than to try to continue to just work off of the phonetic system. So the way um, I learned it, I learned all this stuff together and all that stuff that I said about, you know, this, this means this and this, like we analyze the characters as we learn them as the word was new, as we were trying to pick up the sound. So how many is that? Like history of the character and sound meaning, appearance of the character, different components. So like five or six different aspects of one word at a time. That's a lot. So what I do now is separate these two steps. So I work when their words are new and the learner is a beginner, I work with pinion while they're kind of in that initial Oh, I'm hearing that word. What does that mean? So what I'd have on the board would be none of this. And I would have this. And as I say the word I would go over here and point and look at the students and see that they're tracking about approximately, you know, and then continue to use that word in the context of other words that they know. Uh, do you have chickens? Do you like chickens? Do you see any chickens? I do, because they live back behind our house right now. <laughs> So using that while the word is becoming familiar. And then when we're ready to read, this goes away, because they don't need it now. They know this, so they're connecting sound to meaning. And when I see that that's getting pretty firm for everybody, I figure, okay, now we can show what it looks like. So when we read in my classes, Often at the end of class, we'll start where I'll be typing and I'll ask students, for like, well, what should, what should we start our reading to look like? And then I'll, I'll extend it and finish it after class. But let's say if this word was new, I'd want to put that in there like 10 or more times. I got that from Terry Waltz, who does a lot of training for Mandarin Chinese teachers. Um, she suggests like 10 to 20 times to, to see that new word in print the first time you're reading it. And then over time, you're going to see it again. Uh, But that first time you're kind of loading in lots of opportunity to go, ah, that's G. Oh, G looks like that. Well, you know, so the idea is like this is so strong. The sound and the meaning is so strong. All you're doing when you're reading is just adding "Mm, that's what it looks like. And then later on, we do the analysis of the parts of the character. Where's maybe the historical development of the character if that's fun for students, or there's a good reason to do that rather than doing it all at once. So it also like a researcher who is actually one of my dissertation committee professors. Thank you, Dr. Michael Everson. um, He talked about it being a process view of reading. So looking at it, like we can work with pinion for a while and then have them read the same text. In his case, it was like, everything was pinion for um, several weeks of class. And then everything switched to characters no new words just read the words you've already heard and so his idea was like if we can give them that that first experience just with oral language like a chinese child and then add the reading um, when they they have developed some language ability then that's going to be better for them then try to do it all together because you know five right. different things about every word is very but, burdensome
0: but i was thinking do you think the opinion part is a necessary stepping stone or <clears throat> could you go straight to character straight equals to character. chicken or character equals and a picture of a chicken i'm just thinking about it in the,
1: in the case of some immersion programs I've, I've heard some do that like with like kindergarten and first grade kids still and i think that in china that's the way they do it too let me think in preschool i think they just show them characters first grade i believe first grade they also are just looking at characters and then in second grade i think or maybe maybe it's first grade is the transition they start kids who are already kind of semi literate in characters and they see them everywhere they go so there's constant exposure to characters their minds are tracking with characters in a way you and I would not so much growing up in an environment without characters around us all the time. Okay. So in the case of like a Chinese child, I think that's where they start. And then they add, they do add pinyin afterwards though, okay. because they want standard pronunciation across the country of Mandarin. So there are regional dialects that still exist, but in order to communicate across the whole country, they, they have a standardized right. language that people are all taught. So pinyin comes in for that. Mm-hmm. for westerners who have an alphabet background the problem i think is not not so much using pinion but it's using pinion over the character and showing that all the time and right. trying to expect someone who's trained to read alphabet languages just oh just ignore that
0: yeah not are gonna
1: happen <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna happen so if you want me to read characters don't show me pinion with it i
0: mean absolutely. Yeah, 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 like if you have both one, yeah, it's just it's like it's like yeah. what, watching a movie in the target language with subtitles in your own native language. Your mind's gonna go to the yeah. native language, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: naturally, it's where you're stronger. Yeah, um, and yeah. and and Chinese teachers, if anybody's watching, they they'll say, but in second grade in China, this is what we give students. We do give them a text that has characters and Pinyin, and they do fine. Again, who are those children? What is their language exposure? They are fluent in Chinese already. It's, they have the ear for Chinese already. The language makes sense to them. They're growing vocabulary, but they know Chinese. Your non-native student who has 100 hours of class time per year, or 150 maybe, that that student does not have this strong language in their mind that they have grown from their birth. And so they are a different kind of learner than the than native Chinese child who's exposed to language all the time. So when the second grader also who has seen characters from their birth, constantly surrounding them and seeing mom and dad or family or their teacher reading things aloud from signs on TV, if you watch TV in China, everything is subtitled in characters, It's to promote literacy. So kids grow up constantly seeing this their minds are not going what is that like an alphabet trained mind kind of has a natural reaction like to see the difference in characters is is really kind of challenging at first right. they need more time and so you know when the second grader in china can do this and and can kind of visually ignore pinyin except where they need it because their mind is already keyed in on characters have meaning and I did not have that background and so I think the approach can differ to get to the same goal which is reading texts that don't have this and just reading characters and reading it and connecting to the sound of standard Mandarin right right, so that's that's my plug for Chinese reading there we go (laughs) (laughs) I love it I love reading Chinese characters Um, and the reason I would delay Introducing characters while the word is sounding new is so that students succeed in the reading step with less burden.
0: Yeah, because yeah, I mean, like, I'm always, I'm always obsessed with uh, how how to put it into words. Like, whenever I'm not sure about something when it comes to languages, I tend to go with the with the natural way. Right, mm-hmm. and the way kids in China respond to the language is through characters. Right, first of all. Oh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking that that pinyin, it's on one side uh, like an attempt from us Westerner adults to learn to sort of hack the process in a way, or like you said. They do it in China, so so they have a standardized accent throughout the whole country. But it has nothing to do with the actual language acu- acquisition of the of the language, because that that happened before, right?
1: Yeah, before Pinyin existed, people did learn to read in China. But I would say literacy was not very prevalent in China until the modern, like maybe the last fifty years, okay. um, when when Pinyin was used to promote Mandarin when characters were simplified in, in China, in Taiwan and Singapore and other places where China, Chinese language is prevalent, sometimes have differences in, in Taiwan. Now they are using pinyin more and more because it's a very systematic way to represent the sound of Mandarin. So um, it, it developed by Chinese people. In fact, the person who created pinyin for the Chinese government, I think he died at age 103 or something like that, like just a few years ago. And I was very honored you know, when he passed because he had done things that changed the way that their language is taught. So the I, the goal, I think, was partly so there was mutual understandability, so everybody could speak in the same way. Um, and then then I think for Westerners, you're right, it feels like this great hack, like ah, oh, I got something that I can tell what that sound is you know I can write the sound in a way that represents it and make that connection yeah there's um a a book publisher um it's Jared Turner is the name of the man who's one of the people behind it Mandarin companion Jared wrote a blog post years ago that was called something like the crippling crutch and it's this situation Mm. if you have that always showing you're not as an alphabet language trained mind you're going to have a real hard time here yeah absolutely. but you know do you need to, do you need to know how to read chinese characters to be fluent in mandarin i no but i think you're missing things i think you're missing a lot i think you're right. missing the the connections between words because you can't tell by sound like in english sometimes you can tell by sound that the words are related like phonology and telephone and what else do we have that has sound? <laughs> but those things all relate to the word sound in Chinese. You're not so likely going to hear a part that is telling you about relationships of meaning across different words. You're going to see it in the characters, and so that it's it's wonderful. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about different ideas. <laughs> like, uh-huh. So the back to the Tegan example. So. Mm-hmm. What if you're like right away when you're starting the story, you know, you're going to use a chicken. You use the character right away equals chicken or, or, or even better, a picture of a chicken, right? Next. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, or if you're using a verb, just a picture of yourself. You know, if you're talking about eating, just, I mean, someone eating mm-hmm. or you gesturing it out. Is that, well, could, what it do? could you do that without the opinion part, directly with characters, and obviously helping them a lot with images and context and.
1: Uh-huh, I, you might, here's another reason why opinion is an, ad, an advantage. Most typing systems mm. rely on pin as the input method. There is a way to do it based on handwritten strokes that are within the character, um, but that, is harder to learn, in my opinion, if you don't have a character language background. Like people in Japan already know a lot of the same characters, as I mentioned before, so they they may be okay with with that. Seeing that right away may be better perhaps for them. I'm not sure. I haven't had fluent speakers of Japanese in my classes. I have had fluent speakers of Korean in classes. Korean is not a character language but in South Korea, they do teach a lot about characters and people's names can be written in characters pretty much. And um, so students from Korea who have been in my classes or have a heritage Korean language, sometimes are more primed to see those characters sooner, even though their language isn't written in characters just because they've learned them a lot. Um, And so maybe for them, I would do it, I do, when I was teaching upper levels, like fourth year AP classes, I would just do that. I would just show new words and characters right away and say the word. Sometimes I would say, you know, how, in Chinese, I'd ask them, how do you, how do you think you'd spell that? Listen. And as we would double check that they could spell it because I wanted them to be able to type the word later. And by then they're really pretty good that they figured out that. And by figured out, I mean, they've kind of not had to really work too hard at figuring out how to spell things in pinyin because I've had years of exposure by then. And so they've they've connected, okay, that J sound is gonna sound like, you know. So in their case, yeah, I do. And I think if it's uh, a heritage Chinese learner too, show them the characters right away for words that they already know how they sound. As long as they, uh, pinyin is really useful because of that typing thing. To be able to look up words in a dictionary or something that's you know it, it helps make you more independent and productive to have the ability to use pinion.
0: okay so so
1: okay. it's yeah it's complicated
0: <laughs> yeah i can see that so sa- someone from i don't know kansas who wants to learn Chinese, starting from scratch you wouldn't go with characters right away
1: not in the first couple hours And then they would, I would have a reading text that was based on that couple of hours where they were seeing pinyin, hearing meaning, and we did something with, I often end up starting with pictures, or um, sometimes I hold like a stuffed animal and talk about who has dogs, who has cats, do you have dogs, is your dog big, is your dog small, whatever. So we find out something about each other, um, or something that they make it up about themselves about dogs or cats, and then the text that they're going to read, maybe two or three hours, depending on what I see their progress to be. Like if they're seeming like really quick, easy answers to questions, some people are starting to say the new words as we're, we're talking They without seeming to struggle much. Um, then I'm thinking, okay, those words are starting to really be familiar enough to them. They're, they're putting them into that matrix in their minds of language. And so they're probably ready to read them. And then I would show them in character text. Character. Mm-hmm. So it would be about somebody has a dog who's a big dog. He doesn't have a little dog. He has a big dog. Um, you know, and it would have those new characters in there a whole lot of times. Mm. So it's not a long delay in my case. I would say it's generally two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, though, after I get started with that, after that first time reading, I'm gonna give reading after each class just because I see them once a week. And so if you don't continue to have some more opportunity to read, I think you're gonna, it's gonna fade. Right. That's one of the things I think about Chinese, maybe more than a phonetically written language. You I think it it just takes more time. People like to say difficult for that situation. I would say it just means different. Hmm it means different things. The Chinese is beautiful in that the the verbs are extremely straightforward. There is no conjugation. There is no verb agreement. There is no tense. So all of those things that make, from what I understand, Spanish (laughs) considered very hard, those don't exist in Chinese. So where a language has more time to get to some part of it, they're, they're generally, there is also some area of, like, of that language that is going to take you less time to get there. And it's the distance between your first language or the languages you know and Chinese that makes it more challenging. Like I mentioned, I taught Korean kids in high school, a couple of them particularly I'm thinking of. They read very quickly and reliably in characters because of that past exposure to Chinese script in in the case of the one girl in Korean schools, I think they they taught something along those lines. She was, she showed me stuff that she had worked on and, um, before she even took a Chinese class. So the the exposure helped her a lot, um, and and then the fact that there are cognates between Korean and Chinese. A lot of words were borrowed in from Chinese and yeah. became part of Korean, and so you know, big advantages there. So it wasn't that hard for her
0: right. yeah, yeah the, the language is not it's not harder itself it's just there are a lot of factors involved like you said it's exactly it's, and uh, if I'm learning Italian as a native Spanish speaker I'm gonna be able to access comprehensible resources on my own way quicker than I am with right so definitely I, I, I think uh, that's
1: the challenge with Chinese it's hard to get to the point of being independent quickly. And uh, so a lot of people, like, they are doing massive memorization of characters on a little app or something on their phone, um, because they're that type of person. If there's, if you're learning Chinese independently, I think, wow, that's tough. I, I would say take a class until you can get something more. Like, I've, I've been producing... Um, reading videos, and then little short videos where I'm outside, like I live in the countryside, I really do have chickens. And um, so when I think of it, or it seems like something interesting is going on, I'll take a little video clip that's like two minutes or four minutes long, something short, and I'll narrate it in simple Chinese occasionally throw in an English word to clarify the meaning somewhere. I'm trying to point at things on the camera and stuff like that. And then they build up over time. So those are like my little listening resource videos. And then I have reading resource videos, things that we've created for the classes I teach that, um, again, kind of build. So week to week, there's another video where there's a lot of the same words that came up in previous ones. And Two, three new ones in this video. So uh, those are read-along videos uh, on the channel that I have, and it's in my name. So Diane Newberry. so I'll leave the link. Oh live yeah. Down below. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So the idea to get through that, I think that's that bottleneck part of learning Chinese is that that part where you know characters are all new. Um, A lot of programs will tend to load it on the character at that or on the student at that point, make them memorize a lot and trying to work around other ways to do it. I mean, they do exist. There are better ways to do it than than grunt through, you know, 100 characters a week or whatever.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. How many characters are there?
1: Um I have heard varying accounts of this. To, to be able to, like, to any word altogether, I think I've heard 30,000, which is far fewer than English, by the way. I think English has 120,000 words, something. But most people don't use 30,000 characters. Like, I think I've heard, like, I think at the end of um, middle school or junior high school, I think they expect students to, to read 1,500 words. And then by the end of high school, I think it's 3,100. I'm not, don't quote me. That's for Chinese Mm -hmm. children. So they're thinking like to graduate from high school, 3,000 plus words. I think, I think I have that number right. I may not, it's not 30,000, though. So Um, so if there's a lot of obscure ones and some have fallen out of use, Um, some have been created by the internet. This one's fun since I have this up here. when I tell you that that means awkward, embarrassed, um, really feeling uncomfortable, uh, can like you tell why? Emoji? It was made, yeah, yeah, it's like here, here's your eyes and the head and then the mouth going, ah, uh, you know, so it, this was a, a character, I think, that existed before that didn't mean that, I, and then somebody found this ancient character and brought it in and it became this really hot word on the internet, so it's pronounced "jong." So if somebody is like feeling zhong, it's like you're like, I have no idea what to do. This is so awkward. This is so terrible. So um, yeah. they're creating new characters, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, what, what I had in mind is there's so many characters that if you try to memorize them, it is mm. it is crazy. Like it's yeah. it's one thing to be able to read fifteen hundred characters or 300, three hundred three thousand five hundred. But that doesn't mean you need to memorize them. It just—it just, it just right, crazy. right.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, and I think that's. It's unfortunate that often we like, oh well, you need to be able to do this thing as the goal, and so the the assumption then is, well, that means I need to grunt work, you know, to like, well, no, there there are many ways to attempt to reach this goal,
0: yeah. and
1: some are more pleasant and some are more successful than others so. absolutely
0: yeah. I, I always think the natural ways because that's i always talk about the same thing like when we're kids like we, we're not born with a specific tip or whatever you want to call it to to learn chinese or uh, english spanish or whatever the language right it's like we all have the ability to learn any language it's just that I grew up in Spain, so I was supposed to Spanish. You grew up in, in America, so you were, you know. So we all have the yep. ability to learn Chinese if we want to. Yeah. And yeah. Because I'm always thinking, because now I'm I'm learning Russian now. And I know oh, cool. it, I know it's different. So like Chinese is like a different animal because Russian you can figure things out when it comes to to the characters i mean because it's a different Mm -hmm. alphabet yeah it's
1: phonetically Uh, written
0: yeah Mm -hmm. approximately i i don't know how irregular some words are are the same some others you know you can figure it out but Mm -hmm. i remember learning to read in russian by watching videos of so i started watching videos of russian teachers who use comprehensible input right and Mm -hmm. i remember like um, I watched a video from a friend of mine, Ina, that I had on the podcast as well, and she had a map of Europe, right? And all, all the country names were in Cyrillic alphabet in, in Russian. So I, as 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 she was playing, and I don't remember what the video was about, but I noticed the first word in Finland and in France was sort of a globe with the stick. So yeah, you like yeah. So it's like, in a natural way, my brain picked it up without me having to consciously learn it or memorize it, you know what I mean? So that's why I'm, what I'm trying to figure out with Chinese, with again, it's it's com- a completely different animal because, you know.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that th- what you're getting there is kind of similar in the sense that you're making a connection to the sound of words you know, mm-hmm. to how they look. Right. And so that, yeah, that's the process of reading is connected connecting up to sounds that mean something, mm-hmm. and now they're represented in a certain way. So, yeah.
0: Yes, that's, that's why I
1: yeah. This is to... one of my big research interests, so want to do stuff on, on how do people learn to read Chinese as a second language, but, but new scripts in general, like how can we do that? How does it happen? And,
0: yeah, yeah that, that's really why I, that I, I tend to lean into… Na- the natural way as much as I can. But, you know, if, if kids do it this way in that specific language, let's try to replicate that, right? Or mm-hmm. at least I tend to think that's the better way.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, though, like I mentioned, like the, the mm-hmm. common sense way to teach Chinese children to read, I think should be different than a non-native, non character language um background learner
0: yeah
1: so there's natural and there's natural like like i guess to to my thinking it's like i want to work with the way that that functions socially for us in the classroom like can we pull it off together and does it align with how minds seem to work um and how what sources of input there are so like i'm thinking of on three levels of how languages are acquired when we're talking about classroom language acquisition, especially. And so like thinking of those factors, like how can I do this in a way that works with teachers and students in the classroom setting? How can I work in a way that aligns with what we know about the mind and how it treats language and how it builds language? Um, And then how, how, how does it align with what we know about how to provide sources of language input that are gonna be more high leveraged for developing language ability. And so it's not having 50 words that are new in a short paragraph, it's having three and seeing them 10 times, or, you know, like that, like thinking through those kinds of issues.
0: Um, yeah, and, and, and focus, I mean, uh, I, once again, because of how different the language you teach is you, from, I mean, again, from Spanish, English, You need to do a lot. You need to do a lot more research on those things. But in general, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was thinking. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's, because there are more distances and there are more differences to overcome to developing fluency. Yeah, you have to know how to deal with those different steps. With like, I've learned some Spanish in classes, and then also just because I have friends who are Spanish teachers or Spanish speakers on the internet they post all the time. And, and so um, I often end up reading some Spanish and kind of getting some of it at least. And I'm sure my Spanish is growing from this without my really trying that hard, but it's because I, I see the letters. I've heard it at least a little bit from classes. I can guess how that's going to sound pretty close. I mean, yeah. So yeah, you can't do that with, with these, if you're not, of keyed in on the system already and so actually i've I've even heard people talk about this is like the culture that develops then around how languages are are taught or how they're learned or learning in general kind of can relate to this like in chinese you kind of need some help to understand it so the the transmission the teacher role becomes really culturally important Mm -hmm. in a way that i don't know that it is in an english language environment even a more traditional English language environment where um, teachers were more respected than they are in the US right now. Right. Unfortunately.
0: When it comes to Chinese, you rely more on, on, on the teacher. You depend on them. I
1: think, I think. At at first at least. Yeah. yeah. And there are ways to to work around that, but somebody has to have that that beginner in mind, I think, to so if you're doing resources on your own, they're thinking of what you need as a beginner. And and scaling it for you, I think. think. Otherwise, I think it's it's either demotivating because it's so much all at once, um, and then the language gets the bad reputation of being too hard to learn. Like, well, maybe if we do it in a different way, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just you have so many more things to worry about because when it comes to my native language, what I'm what I'm always doing is I'm trying to think of idea. I, I'm try, I'm always thinking about the the story itself, whether that's a story or a game. So I'm thinking about ideas in which my students or people watching my videos can get exposed to the language in a comprehensible way, but they don't feel like they're learning the language. And what I mean is, so, so yeah, I yeah, the games- They're
1: thinking about something else exactly. through the language.
0: Yeah. I, that's, that's easier to do with Spanish because I can get away with, you know, even if you're a beginner, we can play a escape room game, uh, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's a good one because there are a lot cool. of tricks and yeah. Very <laughs> cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or boards. Yeah, I see yeah. that yeah. my
1: Spanish colleagues could do and just like, you can do that in level one. That sounds like level three. Right. <laughs> you know, because because, yeah, you can borrow in from cognates and from, you know, what you write on the board is going to connect pretty quickly to sounds that they can recognize and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're closer languages. There's more of a relationship. So yeah, use it, definitely use it.
0: All right, and how about your, your languages right now? Are you looking to learn any language, working on some?
1: Somewhat. I'm, I continue to work with my Chinese. I've been reading, um, well, Jane Austen in translation lately. Jane Austen books published in Chinese. Um, I've read some sci-fi in Chinese. So like that's, you know, I'm reading things designed for native learners. So that's fun. Sometimes I watch something, uh, a video or a TV show on YouTube, but somehow it's reading books for me in Chinese. It's more fun. Um, And then I've taken some ASL classes. So American Sign Language. I have to think about it. it's been a little bit, but that's great because a signed language feels brand new. Although signed languages have, I felt like there were some things in common with the visualness of characters. Like there was a, some of the same logic behind them. So yeah, but, but they're very unique too. Um, the way that nuances are expressed in sign language can't be done in sound exactly. Um, so there's some cool stuff that from that. Um, French. Um, And I hope to visit Ajahn, France again and and get to be surrounded by French again, Um, Spanish a bit, in part because I want to be a teacher educator. And so many teachers in the U.S. teach Spanish. It just makes sense. I need to understand their language some. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't explored German, Arabic, Russian, Greek, Hebrew much. I mean, just to kind of like, okay, I know about them a little bit. Um, Korean and Japanese, I've, Japanese, I, you know, i studied it for two years, but I've, it would be a relearning process almost completely there. Um, yeah, but I love languages. Oh, Thai, Thai. I've been learning some Thai too. I was in Thailand as an exchange student when I was 16. And from that time, you know, those, those are sticky things. Those daily life words with your host family lasted for a long time now. Right. And I can still draw on that. I've been back to Thailand a few times and have done a little bit with learning Thai.
0: There's so that's super fun. A lot of a lot of context and emotion from that experience, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So- yeah. And I, I have deep fondness for the people and the language developed too. Mm-hmm. So it's motivating to keep going with that.
0: Awesome. So when you're when you're la- learning a language now, other than Chinese, that like you said you're focusing on books. By the way, you're you're, you're reading Jane Austen in in Chinese. You mean, that means your level is quite high. Yeah. Um. But w- when you're starting out with a language or as a beginner, what what's the what resources do you use? Like, do you go to classes? Like that's like the first thing you do, or
1: when possible. Yeah. Or at least as a supplement, I would say like to get started uh, a class with a really good teacher would be ideal, uh, partly because they can kind of steer you so that some of the easy pitfalls won't happen to you if you if you do it on your own. Right. You know, I, I, Chinese is big for that, but I think any language is like that. Like you're making an initial boost of a connection to that language that makes it more appealing to know where to go next with with things that you can do on your own. Yeah. So I, I prefer that. Like I've, I've done some video learning of ASL, but the classes I took kind of being in a whole language environment that's real live, interactive, um, it, really helps. Yeah. it really helps.
0: Yeah, and again, it, it also depends on the language, right? If you were to start with um, Arabic, Arabic,
1: Obviously, yeah. Yeah, I would want to teach her for
0: Arabic, for sure. More likely to need classes and than Spanish, for instance. You
1: know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Spanish and with French, I feel like I can pick up an easy reader. Uh, like, I have some on the shelf, actually. Um, and I can use those beginning-level books now. Oh, well, this my French is a little more than just beginning. Mm-hmm. I think I, I made me read year two level i'm not sure when i try to speak french though it comes out mixed with mandarin (laughs) so that's pretty fun that's yeah somebody special has to be there to understand what i'm trying to say so yeah the french is interesting but and i don't feel like i speak spanish at all except a word here or there but i can understand quite a bit
0: right so you can watch cartoons or things of that nature yeah
1: I would get tired from that because I can't understand all that much that well.
0: But uh, some, yeah. Simple things. Yeah. But yeah. it's funny what you said about Chinese because I, I don't know what happens here in our brain, but that's happened to me several times. That I remember the first time I went to Ajan when we met in 2016. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I started, I, I learned French as a kid. I was exposed to French, but I didn't really acquire the language. So back in 2016, I I, I couldn't speak the language at all. And I remember before the conference, I went to to my my friend my my parents have friends in Bordeaux, like really close to Asia. So I yeah. I, I went to to their to their apartment the the night before the conference. So I I I stayed there overnight and i remember with the grandma she 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 would speak french to me and i could understand pretty much enough to
1: get something what she was yeah. talking
0: about but when i was about to reply polish came to mind because
1: interesting <laughs> yeah
0: so i was uh, back back, back, which is yes uh, uh,
1: not, yeah. not not, Isn't not it even, funny but, like what your weird. brain does yeah, it's, yeah it's wild
0: crazy. yeah yes well
1: that was 20 20- Sixteen, we were both in Sabrina um, Jansik's exactly. French class. Exactly. I forgot that that was where we met.
0: Yeah. Cool. yeah. So So, and I was just thinking about it that that speaks volumes about the craziness of trying to force output from day one. I was just thinking. Yeah. About
1: it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's doing something very different for the learner. I think. It's, you know, the, when there's survival situations where you need to be able to use like you need to verbalize language just to survive in that environment. Yeah, I get that. But but in general if you can delay you know and and make it low key and speak when you're you feel like it um and start simple and yeah.
0: yeah. It just it's just not how the brain works. So it's just a sort of an attempt to hack the process like I always say but yeah Yeah. other than you know my appendix is about to explode what emergency situation you're going to be in (laughs) i'm just kidding but (laughs) well
1: yeah well i was thinking actually of a korean woman i met in southwest china in a kind of a little tourist town i was so impressed with her chinese and i told her and she said well i had to nobody here speaks korean (laughs) you know it's so like to, to the way she put it was it for me to be able to eat I had to know what to say <laughs> yeah. and and so she you know but of course she was also surrounded by language so she was also getting enough comprehensible input from that situation so you know it wasn't like she was just oh i'll look it up now i'll say it and then that's no no she was being surrounded by language too yeah, was, but but she had the necessity to make progress right. so
0: yeah the person was working already yeah yeah Cool. So that's, yeah. That, I don't know if you had any, any other idea in mind that we didn't talk about, or. I think, I think that's pretty much it. Hey,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. Long tangents would, would be probably the result, um, but thinking of like, what how does research then relate to these kinds of things? Experiences of learners in class, classrooms or on their own trying to learn languages um to me that's really interesting stuff so those just to put a plug that's that's another discussion sure. for some other time maybe
0: yeah we'll, we'll do a part two, sort of a <laughs> cliffhanger here as you know i just kidding. as you as you continue to to work on your research and you learn new things about because i think it's going to be interesting for a lot of people who who wanted to learn chinese or japanese or just like a completely different language to their own native language yeah. felt like it was going to take them a long time and it was going to be a hard process so i think that's going to help them because mm-hmm. you, you do so. it all, yeah. the, all the time and yeah
1: yeah it, it it does take more time like what you just said about spanish you can do an escape room game with a beginning learner if you did that in chinese you wouldn't understand very much of <laughs> what going on? You know, so, I mean, we could do a lot. I guess one of the things that's an advantage is only a few words are really, really frequently used. If you know 50 to 100 words, there's a lot actually you can do if those 50 to 100 words are really frequently used and have a broad meaning. And so... You know, if you can get some of those first, you're going to feel the progress and feel the access to the, the rest of the language, I think, pretty quickly, even in a language like Chinese, if you're from a European language background.
0: Yeah, but then I, I, I just remember, again, like, obviously, you you have to get more creative, probably, but I remember your Mafia game in, in Chinese in, mm-hmm. in Wuhan that yes you were were dealing with complete beginners and i remember yeah super
1: simplified it of Mm -hmm. course of course
0: but so yeah you need to get more creative because you you cannot get away with things that i can with spanish like you said but (laughs) i think there's there's a way to do it and to make it fun and comprehensible yeah so even though it's going to take even though it's going to take you longer you're still going to enjoy the process which is right absolutely it can be
1: a meaningful engaging process from day one
0: through yeah, yeah. that's 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 key to me because if if that's not happening you're gonna end up giving up sooner or later if you're not yeah. enjoying the process and we're talking languages here but pretty much anything in life well that's that's what i think yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah
0: all right diane so cool. well fun
1: you. talking with you about these things
0: yeah same same here absolutely. And again different background today, like different language, different alphabet. So that's that's gonna be useful for people, I think. Okay. So thank you again, Diane. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about that part too somewhere sometime in the future. okay <laughs> <laughs> when you have new new discoveries and ideas. Okay. All right. So, bye-bye, Diane. Great.
1: Okay, bye-bye.
0: Thank you again.